Welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christian Church here in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Enos. Here we will talk about doctrine and theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to respond and face these issues. Get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready to have your tables flipped. As a friend just told me recently, Table Flippers is flipping awesome. Everything rises and falls on leadership. That's a quote from John Maxwell, a great leader in himself and a teacher and trainer of other leaders. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You know, I had a problem with that saying several years ago because, you know, as a leader myself and one that's been commissioned to lead a church and lead other people, when things go wrong, I, like other leaders or other people in general, just want to blame somebody else. It was his fault. It was their fault. It was that person's. And uh, there may even be a shred of truth in it, but the reality of it is, is if I'm really doing what I need to do as a leader, then there would be uh, fewer or less faults with other people on a grand scale than there was if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a leader. This is your host, Robert Enos of Table Flippers Podcast. Welcome to today's episode, and I hope that you will track with me because I just want to share a little bit of my own heart, not only only about myself and the way I think and what motivates me or moves me, the reason why I do certain things, but I hope to help you if you're a leader. Well, everyone's a leader in one way or another. So I want to help in some small way, help to develop your leadership capabilities and capacity. But if in the area that you're a somebody's follower and you're following a leader, and again, that's all of us in one way or another, I want you to know not just how to follow, but who to follow. There's a lot of leadership out there. You know, because I'm in the church world primarily, not only I'm in the business world, a little bit in the uh, governmental, political world, um, So when I look at the church world, because that's where I'm most familiar and more comfortable with, but I want to look at the church world, there are many, many, many what we call pastors out there. And so if you give it like my area right here, just in our town, there's well over a hundred churches in my town right here. And we're not a huge town. We're about 180, 190,000 people. Now, you know, that's a good number, but it's not a huge town by uh, Southern California standards. So out of that, there's well over a hundred churches just in my town. And the town next door, which we're almost grown into each other, has again, well over a hundred churches there. So in our region, we have 200 plus churches to choose from. So when, when there's a church that turns out that the leadership of that church, the pastor, whatever you call them, the pastor, the vicar, the the priest, the apostle, whoever, is not really doing that fantastic of a job. Uh, and people, you know, sometimes feel like, well, where am I going to go? Well, come on, you got 200 and some odd 50 churches to choose from in the area. Now, granted, not all of those 200 churches are going to be churches really worth their salt in going, but many of them are. And many of them are going to be led by people that are going to do a far better job than the church that you might be at and that place that you're recognizing that, hey, man, this church isn't really what it's cracked up to be. It's not what I thought it would be. So what do you do in those time, in those places? Well, you go church shopping. I just, uh, in this sense, am completely against church hoppers. You know what a church hopper is. That person that it seems like uh, 
almost every week, maybe not quite every week, but almost every week is in another church. And they hop around from church to church to church. And it's not that they're looking for a home church. That's just who they are. They they know they're supposed to be in their church. They want to be in church because they can come in, get the greetings, the accolades. They can present themselves. And usually they pre, a true church hopper presents themselves as a minister so-and-so, I'm a prophet so-and-so, I'm a past, uh, evangelist so-and-so. They always have some kind of title and they're looking for that recognition. And they may even stay around in a, ch- in a c- certain church if they get the recognition that they so desperately need. Those are the types of people that I do my best to kind of stay away from. No, they're welcome to come in my church and hop into my church, but they're not going to feel very welcome. Not because I'm going to work on making them feel unwelcome, and my church is extremely welcoming and very loving, but because they're not going to feel welcome for very long in that atmosphere, having that spirit of being a church hopper and not a true church family member. So again, in that regard, they're just not going to feel very welcome for very long. But nonetheless, I don't want to dwell on that too much. So there's church hoppers in that sense, which I'm totally against. Stop being that. And if that's you, God didn't send you. God didn't send you. I've met so many people over the years who just said, you know, so I ask them, where's your church home? What church do you go to? Oh, I go to the church God sends me to. I said, well, what does that mean exactly? You know, this week I might be at this church. Next week I might be at that church. The next week after that, I may be at the church over there. God just sends me. It's like, no, God's not double-minded. God's not confused. And God has no problem moving into a place and making home there. If you do, then you don't have that godlike quality. And that needs to change and you need deliverance. So every person who claims Christ should have a church home. A place that they call home and a place that they go to and a place that they visit like weekly. Okay, And that doesn't mean that if you're in transition because you realize that the place that you're in really isn't home because you disagree with something major that's going on or the pastor or some of the leadership uh, turns out that they're in sin or open rebellion or something of that nature. Well, of course, you go find a new home and you might hop around a little bit as you search for a new home. But if you do it prayerfully, honestly, if you do it prayerfully, God, show me the church, send me the church, let me land in the church that you want for me. Then quite frankly, it's not a uh, church hopping situation that lasts very long, maybe a month at most, two months. Every time that I've been in transition, when I moved up to this region, of course, I left my home church that was more than an hour away and I needed to find a new church up here. I actually went I I visited some churches that I had friends in up here just to go to church. But when I went to a church on my own by myself, you know, in that regard, like I need to find a church, I honestly walked into one church and that was my church home for several months. I was in a major transition in my life, not just uh, moving to a different location, but there was all kinds of things going on in my life. New job, new position, all that stuff, new location, new everything. And so that church became my home base for several months. And um, I walked into that one church, the church that I went to after that to call home. Again, I went one time and I knew this is it. And so that first church I just mentioned was more of a transition kind of a church as a temporary home as God settled me in this new region that I knew very little about. Anyways, I said all that to basically get to this point. Uh, Again, everything rises and falls on leadership. I want to share with you something. This is um, a poll, if you will. We we 
did this at my church on a Tuesday night Bible study several years ago. And I just asked a simple question. What do you, ladies and gentlemen, everybody in our Bible study, what do you expect of a pastor or a church leader? And I I had my whiteboard and I had my pen and I was just writing down what they were saying. And here's the qualities, according to the people in that Bible study, again, this wasn't taken with a bunch of pastors, this wasn't read from a book, this was straight from the people that are being pastored and being led by church leaders and pastors. What are the qualities of a good pastor? Um, And this isn't, the first list isn't in any order of importance, just how they gave it to me. Number one, leadership. Two, empathy. Three, truly called called of God. Four, humble. Number five, a good communicator. And number six, a good listener. Seven, honesty. Eight, integrity. Nine, now this surprised me, but nine, punctual or on time. Ten, ethical. Eleven, role model. Twelve, defender and protector. Thirteen, trustworthy. Fourteen, servant. Fifteen, responsive. Sixteen, responsible. Seventeen, approachable. Eighteen, knowledgeable, 19, non-prejudicial, and 20, spirit-filled. Now again, that first list of those 20 are not necessarily in order of importance. So what I did was from that list, I wrote down uh, 20, and there was some others that people were saying, hey, what about this? What about this? But we narrowed it down to 20. Again, not necessarily the top 20 because a lot of what other people said were Basically the same thing what I just read to you, just another way of saying it, okay? So we, we, we just put it in 20 easy to understand words or um, concepts. And then I said to everybody, okay, we went through them one by one and everything. What are the top 10 qualities? And we worked that out. We kind of took a vote on it and we worked it out and we talked about it. So here are the top 10 qualities of out of that first 20. Okay, the top 10 qualities of a good pastor, a good church leader. So number one, they said that pastor, that church leader has to be truly called. Not just say they're called, but truly called, called of God. Number two, they have to have integrity. Number three, they have to be a protector and a defender. Number four, honest. They have to have honesty. Number five, they have to be a servant. And a lot of pastors out there, they say they are a servant. They're not a servant. They have to be a servant. Number six, humble. Number seven, spirit-filled. They just can't be doing things in the flesh. They just can't be going by their own wisdom. They can't be going because they read it in a book. They have to be led by the Spirit of God. Number eight, they have to be a good role model. Okay, And what that means is if, if a family comes in and they have, say, children, you know, five, six, and seven, when they're teaching and training their children, they should be able to point at the pastor and the church leadership and say, hey, five-year-old son, six-year-old son, seven-year-old son or daughter, you need to be like pastor so-and-so. I want you to grow up to be a man like pastor so-and-so or a woman like pastor so-and-so. Okay, so they should be a good role model, not just for children, for everybody in the congregation. They need to be punctual. And again, I thought that was kind of funny that he even made the list in the first place, but now it's in the top 10. Punctual, on time, and knowledgeable. They have to know what they're saying and why they're saying it. They have to be learned people. Now, the reason I wanted to start with this, because I want to get into something. I can be very, 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 very harsh on pastors and church leaders. I know that. And please, please don't, don't write 
and expect me to apologize for that. I don't apologize for it because if I were to apologize for that, then I would be in a strange way apologizing for the bad behavior and the bad leadership of many of these pastors that I'm critical of. If you caught my last episode of my podcast, it was about Pastor Jack Hayford. Unfortunately, Pastor Jack just passed away. He was 88 years old, phenomenal man of God. And and while I'm not in a hundred percent agreement with everything that he said or taught. And, and and when I say that, listen, on all the majors, all the majors, I would be in agreement with, okay? I might have my little twist on it. He has his twist on it. But in all, you know, the virgin birth, we both agree with that. Jesus is the only way to the Father. The only way of salvation is through Jesus, not works, not anything like that, but through Jesus. We'd agree on that. Okay, so all the major, we would agree. We'd agree that we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to speak in tongues. We need to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We need to move out in the gifts of the Spirit. We would agree upon these things. I went to a school. I learned under him and the leadership he put in place in his school. And so, again, we would agree on a lot of things, not just because I was educated there initially, but even in my further education, I have found that, yeah, Pastor Jack is a great guy, solid guy. So when I'm critical of pastors, I'm not critical of the ones that don't deserve the criticism. I'm critical of the ones that absolutely have earned it, that are just bad leaders. The ones that when I look at a list like this, I know people that go by the title pastor that aren't truly called. They're in it to fulfill some kind of emptiness within, some need of recognition and self-importance. I know lots of pastors that have, and I know some pastors personally, that have zero integrity when it comes right down to it. Zero. And and let me explain to you what I mean. <clears throat> Several years ago, uh, we were in a building and we had some carpet installed. And somebody told me, oh, well, I know a pastor who whose um, job is he installs carpet and flooring and everything, and he pastors on the weekend. So I said, hey, let's help a brother out. Let's hire him to install our carpet. So I bought the carpet, and I had this guy install it. He never finished the job. And he he, he did a pretty good job, a great job, up you know until he just stopped, but it wasn't 100% finished. He still had about, well, maybe uh, half a day's work to finish, and he didn't come back. So I called him. I said, hey, brother, you know, um, when are you going to come back? Oh, I will be there Thursday. Thursday rolled around. He never came. Called him again. Wouldn't answer. Called him again. Left a message. Never answered or called back. And and we couldn't find him. So one day I was out somewhere <clears throat> and at a, actually at a house that was being remodeled. It just by and by chance when I walked in, who's doing the floor in this house? that I'm visiting that's being remodeled, this pastor. So I walked right up to him and he was on the ground um, doing the work on the floor. And I literally got down on my hands and knees and 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 almost got nose to nose with him. Said, hello, pastor. He, he almost turned white as a ghost and almost fell over when he saw me. Oh, oh, hi. Oh, yeah. Before I could even say anything, all I said was hello. I know I had a stern look on my face because I was very upset about this because we paid him a lot of money to do this work that he never finished. And he kept lying about when he would come back and finish it. So here I I have him cornered. I said, well, you never come back and finish the job. Well, you know, I'm going to be there. And again, he says, I don't know what it is about Thursday, but I'll be there Thursday. Okay, you better be here Thursday. And I even, maybe I shouldn't have done this, but I sort of threatened him a little bit because I would hate to find your, come to your church on Sunday 
and approach you in front of all your congregation. Oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. I will be there. I'll finish the job. Well, guess what? Thursday came and went and he never showed up. I was so tempted to, to again, um, confront him at his church on his turf in front of his people. But I thought for the greater good, I'll just suck it up, I'll finish the job, and we'll just move on and I'll forget about it. But there's a pastor that has no integrity. And I know many like that. Now the building that we're in now, we were able to purchase building. We purchased it, had it completely remodeled, and then a pipe breaks, floods the place. And we had to have, you know, what do they call it when they come out and and dry everything out and things had to be pulled out and, and flooring had to be pulled out, some wall had to be pulled out cabinets had to be pulled out so we had to do another major remodel so the second time around i knew of another pastor who again his business was uh remodeling and doing so i said man and this is somebody i knew i i considered him a friend we we hired him paid him a lot of money he came in and once again didn't finish the job one guy that he had working for him did phenomenal work the first part of the job was phenomenal they had a big falling out and the guy quit. He hired some other person to come in and finish the job because he didn't actually do the hands-on stuff. But he came in, did horrible work, and then stopped coming and they didn't finish the job. So I finally got so fed up and I said, listen, I don't want you coming back. I don't want any of you guys coming back. I want some money reimbursed so I can go hire somebody else to come and finish what you couldn't do. He refused to give me money. Then he threatened me. He threatened me saying, well, there's stuff in your building that's not up to code. And I'm going to go to my friends who who are on the code enforcement force for the city. And I'm going to turn you in if you make a deal out of this. And and here I am. uh, um, And by the way, we're up to code, but that's not really the point. But I'm stuck again with this pastor who didn't do the job, did a really bad job, at least a part of it, bad job, and then didn't finish the job. And when I requested some money back so I can hire somebody to finish the job, refused and then made a threat. Now, I'm supposed to be not only a friend, but a brother in the Lord. And this is the way he's being treated. No integrity whatsoever. Zero. And again, for the greater good, you have no idea how I've had to swallow my pride, swallow my anger, and take it to the Lord. Because in the natural, in the natural, I could have taken both of these guys to court and won. That would have been an easy win in court. But for the greater good, I had to suck it up. For the greater good, I had to be quiet. For the greater good, why? What do I mean by the greater good? If I went and took this guy to court, it's going to really wreak havoc in his church and possibly in my church. And what kind of message are we as pastors and leaders in the community going at it like this when we should be brothers and walking in unity? He should have finished the job. I certainly paid him for it. Certainly paid him a lot of money too. And isn't it interesting? And this is the truth, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not making this up. We gave him a lot of money and I figured I can trust him. He's a friend and he's in the ministry. Okay, I could trust him. So we gave him all the money up front. And when he started really cutting corners and doing a bad job or having his guys do a real bad job cutting corners, it was right about the time that his ministry bought a bus and donated it to another ministry in Mexico. Now, granted, that could be a coincidence. That could be an absolute coincidence. But I just find it odd that he and his ministry had enough money to buy a bus for another ministry, but he didn't have the money to pay his employee, keep them working, quality employees, 
and finish the job at my church. Something that he agreed to, something that he gave his word to, and yes, even signed a contract to. So what was I supposed to do in that? So anyways, again, when I look at this, I'm just uh, amazed because I know a lot of pastors that fail. And, and listen, before we go on, I couldn't tell you how many times I failed in this. This is not about somebody who makes a mistake or fails in this in a moment of time. I'm not talking about that because that would be absolutely every human being on the face of the planet. But I know so many pastors that could not measure up to these things really in any way. Like I said, zero integrity, liars, cheats deceivers. Those are the ones that I come against. Those are the ones I speak against. Not the Jack Haffords of the world, not the Jack Haffords of the church, not the people like that, the Bill Hammonds who have been around and they're in their 80s and they're still going without scandal, still serving God, and they completely fulfill all these things. They they are truly called. They have integrity, uh, integrity. They're protectors. They're defenders. They're honest and so on, so on, so on. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that fail in these areas on a day-to-day basis and have not learned it. And they treat the church the same way like maybe an entertainer, and not even a very good entertainer, but an entertainer treats their fans. The fans to many, not all, but most entertainers are just a way to feeling good about themselves. It's not about the fan, it's about themselves. And unfortunately, many in the body of Christ, leaders in the body of Christ, fall into that category. They're, they don't really have a great care and a compassion for the people that they're leading, but the people are there to make them feel good about themselves. You know, so uh, they feel really good when they preach something and somebody shouts, amen. How do you know? Because if they don't shout amen on cue, then they'll say, they'll rip the people and, and scald them and train them to say amen at certain places by saying such things. Can I get an amen? Well, if you were saying something worthy of an amen, you would have already got it. You wouldn't have to ask for it. Hello? Anyways, so <clears throat> so um, that's why one reason why I'm so tough on pastors, because so many of them have failed their own people. And unfortunately, many of the people don't even understand this. I have a great compassion and a great love for the body of Christ. I have a great love for the people in the church. And because like number three here, protector, defender, I I am a father. I, I have four kids. I mean, they're all older now out of the house, but two of them were daughters. And especially with my daughters, oh, I, I would defend them. I would give my life up a hundred times over for them, you know? So, you take that same heart of a father, take that same compassion for my children that I have and and mix it with that heart of a protector. And now in my own church, I'll protect, I'll fight for my people. I've yelled at other pastors on behalf of my church or somebody in my church because I felt that they did or said something that that could have that was um, offensive. You don't do that to my people. I'll, I'll, I'll not just yell at you. I'm, you. You might get more. So So I'll do that. I understand what it is to be a defender. I know what it is to be a protector. And not enough pastors are that in a very real way, okay? So I'll even protect other church members that don't even go to my church against abusive pastors and abusive leaders. And it sometimes gets me in trouble, but it's trouble I'm willing to get into on behalf of other people, the body of Christ, because I love the body of Christ. So that's why I'm tough on pastors. I'm tough because not, not all of them are doing their job. Not all of them are training people, because here's where it comes down to. Pastors and church leaders are supposed to train their people in righteousness. And when I say righteousness, I'm not talking just about how to be a good person, but in everything that is right, in everything that is good. Not enough pastors 
are changing the culture and the society around them. I mean, let me just ask you a, a, a question about maybe your hometown. Maybe your hometown or somewhere near you has what we might call a megachurch. A megachurch is a church that's really big, thousands upon thousands of people. Generally speaking, a megachurch is, or you know, in my mind at least, is about 10,000 members or more. <clears throat> Some places it might be a little bit smaller because, you know, if you only have, say, 10,000 people in a city and you have a church of 5,000, well, that's a megachurch for that city or even a thousand is a megachurch for that city. So let me ask you if, some of the mega churches that you may be familiar with, especially close to you, are they changing the city and the region that they're in? Is crime dropping? Is homelessness dropping? Are people able to get jobs? And I mean career kind of jobs. Are people coming out of poverty? Are people coming off of drugs, alcohol? And I don't mean just a select few that might make it into the church. Are they having such an impact on the community around them that the whole community is becoming more and more and more righteous? Or is it just staying the status quo of unrighteousness? And in my, you know, what I've witnessed and what I've seen is there's not many mega churches, I'm just going to be honest with you, that are actually changing the region around them. They may be growing and growing and growing and more people find themselves in the building on Sunday or tuning in, but the culture and society around them are, are not becoming more and more righteous. And that bothers me because that tells me that, again, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing as leaders, church leaders. So I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, and I say this to all of you who are church members. I say this to even those who maybe not go to church but you need to hear this. You are extremely talented. You are talented. You have such great potential to be a world changer. You have potential to do phenomenal things. If you are called, and when I say called, God says, you know, to people, I want you to do this, you know, maybe go into business. I want you to do this, maybe go into politics. I want you to do this, maybe go into education. He calls you to it. It's something that he ordains and he calls you to. So if you are in the area, you're called to something. You are called to do something and you're called to do it exceptionally well. You are called to do it in a manner and in a way that's going to change everything around you to righteousness. Okay, you are called to that. Every believer and non-believer, every one of you, if you're not a church member, you don't you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't change the fact that he has a call in your life. You just probably will never figure it out until you come to Jesus and do it his way. But you are talented, you are called, you have such great potential, and there's greatness within you, each and every one of you. And there's more to you than meets the eye. There's more to you than meets the eye. Even your own, okay? Now, the reason I'm saying is that this is because if the pastors, especially the, you churchgoers, if your pastors are doing the job they're supposed to be doing, they will help you develop your talent, your potential. They will help develop that greatness that's already in and make it presentable, not just for you, but to the world and help you to, well, make a life out of that, okay? In other words, they're going to train you in righteousness, everything that's right, and that includes bringing you into the fullness of your calling. So again, let's assume that you are called into the educational system, okay? So you might start out getting your credentials and becoming a teacher. Uh, I don't really know how it goes step by step by step by step. So I'm just going to paint a picture and uh, and hopefully you get the idea. So let's say you, you get your credentials and you come in and you start at kindergarten level or first grade level and you teach for three, five years 
and you learn the ropes, you learn how it works, you learn how children think and everything beyond just classroom yourself. And then you grow, okay, I want a raise or promotion in that sense, you know, and you grow to the fifth graders. A little bit older, a little bit tougher, maybe more time at, at the school, but you're ready for it. And then you learn that three to five years. And then you keep growing, you keep getting your education, you keep moving forward. God keeps blessing you. Your pastor keeps encouraging you, preaching to you, teaching to you. Uh, excellence and how to uh, develop yourself in that. So you go from fifth grader to maybe high school. Now you're teaching 11th, 12th grade in high school. You do that for a few years. You continue to um, market yourself and, and make yourself more marketable. Train yourself and get the training from your pastor. And then maybe you become a professor in a college. Now you're writing books and manuals that train other teachers. And you just keep moving up the ladder to the point where now you're on a national scale writing curriculum that will be not only in the public school system, but also taught in colleges. Why? Because you've purposely placed yourself under the right people, not just pastors and churches, although that's a big part of it. And they helped you develop yourself. They created an atmosphere for growth for you. Now, here's the sad thing. I honestly don't know too many pastors and church leaders that even know how to do that or even care to do that. And so many of the people in their pews are stagnant. The, the, the situation you see in their life right now, they'll still be in that same situation 10 years from now because they're not being encouraged to grow and to move beyond that station that they are right at that moment. So if you have a teacher of kindergartners in their church, they go to church every week, but they're not really being pushed or trained to, to grow and to become more. 10 years goes by, they're still teaching kindergartners. Now, I don't have a problem with that if somebody feels they're fully called to teach just, you know, merely. I don't want to make it sound like it's a less than job, but they're supposed to stay there. That's fine. But you should never, ever stop developing yourself. You should never, ever stop growing and learning. And if you're in the right church, your pastor and church leaders will help you. And I don't see a lot of that happening, right? So we all need, all of us, myself included, need to be in a church as well as other places. That's not only just encouraging, has a sweet, encouraging word, because I'm not about sweet, encouraging words. I am about creating an atmosphere and teaching and training people to be excellent in everything that they do. So I want to give you uh, just a quick testimony of my church. Yes, I'm going to brag about my church. I want to brag. Just get ready. I'm bragging, okay? Now, my church... I, I teach and preach sometimes a hard message. A hard message, you know, in a nutshell, get it together and grow up and move forward. Okay, that's a nutshell of my whole, <laughs> my whole years of sermon, okay? <clears throat> it's not always that pointed and blank, but it's get ready, get moving, learn, train, grow, go forward, get what, do whatever you need to do to grow. And, and here's the result of that. The people in my church are getting career kind of jobs. Okay, well, let me let me back up for just a minute. Many of them that came in on government assistance, most of them are off of government assistance. And the ones that are still on are working to get off government assistance. Things such as welfare and, and these social programs. Okay, they're getting jobs. And I don't mean just a job, career kind of jobs that pay all the bills, all right? Then they're getting raises. They're getting bonuses. They're getting new positions. They're getting all of these things. They're, they're getting better pay. Um, one gentleman in my church, and this isn't the only one, 
but one gentleman in my church has only been on his job working for this particular company for about three years. Um, and in that three years, he's he's moved to several different better positions with better pay. He's gotten bonus after bonus after bonus after bonus. Okay, it's just amazing. One of the young ladies at our church, a single mom who was who was on government assistant and was actually working a job but it wasn't paying her very much. Got a new job and now is making a, a great career kind of salary. And she's making it for her and her kids and doing well. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because even though some people come into my church, they sit down and they leave maybe after a sermon or two, maybe three, it's too hard here. They want that cute, sweet, pat me on the back and give me a cookie kind of message. And that's not me. I refuse to be that. Do you know why? I don't see the fruit of that. I don't see much fruit in that. I don't see people growing up and growing better because they got the sweet little cookie in their mouth every week. But when we push one another, as a matter of fact, my associate pastor, Pastor Adriana, she calls me Mick and she's Rocky, she says. Rocky and Mick. And if you remember the, the movie Rocky, Mick was always yelling at Rocky, ah, you bum, and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. But Rocky went on to be a champion, okay? Rocky went on to be a champion because Mick pushed him to be a champion. He saw champion in Rock and pushed him to develop it so that the champion would come out. And that's my heart. Now, I said all that to say this. For those of you who are in my church, you're doing a phenomenal job. I love you all. You're growing. You're moving. You're making me proud. I feel like a proud papa. Okay, if you're not in my church, uh, that's okay. You're welcome to come to my church. You're welcome. But I'm going to warn you, you're going to grow. But if you're not in my area or something, find a church that isn't always comfortable. I'm not talking about a mean church. I'm talking about a church that's going to be like Mick and Rocky. Push you and train you and build you up and give you what you need to develop the true champion that's inside so that you will excel in everything. That you will be the one getting the raises. You will be getting the bonuses. You'll be getting the better positions. You'll be moving up the ladder. And then one day you'll be the boss. You'll be at the top calling the shots. Why? Because you put up with a mick on Sunday morning that was getting in your face and, and, and telling you, you know, hey, keep pushing, keep moving, don't stop. I know you're tired, but keep one more, one more. Come on, keep going, keep going. When you have that in your life and it's really done from a spirit and a heart of love, like a father or a good coach would, would do, you'll make it in life. You're going to succeed in life. You're going to do phenomenal things in life. So please, I'm not telling anybody to leave their church necessarily. But if you're not under a pastor like that, maybe you really should be praying about it and seeking God and asking him, hey, I need that in my life. Should I change my church? And I'm going to tell you, he'll probably say, yeah, he'll probably tell you, yeah. You're not allowed to be a church hopper, but you're you're allowed to move into a place that's going to pastor you and lead you in a manner that's healthy and correct and righteous. That's going to be good for you and good for them. And those types of pastors, they're not moved by how many faces are out there in the congregation. They're moved when the people in their church grow up and move up the ladder and do spectacular things. That's what blesses their heart. That's what moves them. They can be pastoring a church of 50 people if those 50 people are growing and moving and doing great, exciting things. But if they pastor even church of 10,000, the true, I'm talking about the true pastor, the true leaders, truly called, they have 10,000 people that are just there staring at them every Sunday and they stay the same year after year after year, those pastors are not happy. They would give up that church of 10,000 for the church of 50 that's moving and growing. So just keep that in mind. You 
have what it takes. And pastors, if you haven't been training your people right, start doing it. Get it into your own heart, get it into your own head, and then deliver it into the pulpit and stand with the people. Train them and stand with them and encourage them every day, every moment, until they break through and they become something great. I hope you go and check out our merchandise page. We have hats, t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I just got in my own hat and I've been wearing it. And I've been getting a lot of compliments on it. It's a fantastic hat. My daughter designed all of these, but we have hats, t-shirts, hoodies, and more. And if you go to tableflippers.com, that's tableflippers.com, and use freedom as your promo code, you'll get a discount. Fantastic stuff, beautiful stuff, and it'll help me, it'll help you. And together, we'll be flipping awesome. Thank you for joining us at Table Flippers Podcast. I'd really love to hear from you. Please look us up on the web at www.gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Or you can email me at gwccrobert at gmail.com. I'd really love to hear from you. Please let us know how we're doing. Keep all those comments coming. Until next time, you all have a great and a blessed day.